John chapter 2, we'll be picking up in verse number 12. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brother and, and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jews went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple, and let me reread verse number 13, and, G, and, the, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was his temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks every day that we're able to come into your house and study your word and worship you. Lord, we give thanks for those who were able to celebrate another year of life, Lord, who was to able to uh, experience another year uh, being married. I know that, Lord, even in this building this morning, there are people mourning the loss of their spouse, mourning the loss of their father, the loss of their loved ones. Lord, the, the great comfort that we have in this life is not that we will live forever here, is that, that you've offered an opportunity to live eternally with you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We set out this morning to continue in our study in the book of John, in which the Apostle John has already set out in the first two chapters to magnify the name of Jesus Christ. If you've never read the book of John in the New Testament, John does not hide the reason in which this book was written. In the end of John chapter 20 and verse 31, he said, but these that these are written that ye might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But that's not the only thing he wants to make clear through these 21 chapters. It's not that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he wants to go on and explain that 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing in Him, you might have life through His name. This is the only place in this world in which eternal hope is presented to us. But here in our text this morning, the Apostle John will add something else about Jesus Christ. He's already set out in chapter 1 to explain to us His deity, We've seen his person. We started chapter 2 in understanding his miracles. But here in the end of chapter 2, the Apostle John sets out to explain to us about the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse number 12 starts off with us in this portion of the text. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren, and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Now we understand from where we left off that this, this verse is, uh, verse number 12 is a connecting verse between the miracles that was experienced in Cana and to what is happening down here in Capernaum. We seen several weeks ago when we looked at the miracle there in Cana, that there was a great tragedy that happened in the midst of this miracle. And verse number 9 of chapter 2 explains that to us. That while there were some who were amazed, while there were, were some who were caused to believe, there were some who magnified the name of Jesus Christ when he performed this great miracle in which he turned water to wine. There were others who acknowledged this great miracle and did not believe. There were others who acknowledged this great miracle, and it did not move them to place their faith in him. That is the tragedy of verse number 12 when it says that they left Cana, and after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. I pray that's not a story about us as we continue our study in the book of John. That as we read about the miracles that Jesus did, as we read about the power that was manifested in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that week after week, after we come here and we learn about his miracles, and after we come here week after week and learn about what Jesus did for us, after we come here week after week, I pray that we don't leave here every service unchanged about what Jesus has done. Unchanged about why he was even here on this earth. Even more, we understand that they had traveled now according to verse number 12, that they have traveled some 15 miles is the distance that many believe is the distance between Cana to where he's now in Capernaum. But verse number 13, verse 12 tells us the distance that was traveled by Jesus and his disciples. But verse number 13 tells us the spirit in which they were in. Verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, this was a time of celebration for the Jews. Many commentators, as they set to put you in the scene of what is exactly happening here in verse number 13 in that statement, and the Jews' Passover was at hand. Many commentators quickly moved to the spirit of Christmas in America. 
when the season of Christmas time comes in America, it seems soon as Thanksgiving's over, unless you live in my house, the Christmas tree goes up before you ever experience Thanksgiving. But it seems like as soon as December 1st comes, all throughout the city, the city goes around and they're hanging up lights throughout the trees. Homeowners are putting Christmas lights on their house. They're putting reefs on their front door. They're putting trees up. Everybody seems excited. It doesn't matter if you go to the store. Soon as you walk into the store, it could be the grocery store. They start making sweet treats, the shapes of Christmas trees. It is the spirit of that time of year. December 25th is the spirit of Christmas. This is the commentators use this to kind of explain what you could experience or, or what you would expect to experience in Capernaum and in Jerusalem at this time. According to Jewish custom, 30 days prior to celebrating the Passover feast, the Jews would customarily say that 30 days had to be given to bettering the community. They would go through and all of the sepulchers, they would whitewash them, meaning they would decorate the sepulchers and paint them up to make them look pretty. It was custom in Jerusalem that you had to go through the city and they would fix up all the streets. People would decorate their homes. It was a time of year, this time of Passover. It's much like Christmas. They expected all of their family to come into town to celebrate this time of year. Now we understand that that's the spirit of it. The spirit was a time of celebration. It was a time of family gathering. It was a time in which was presented even within the city. But understand what exactly is Passover? For the Jews, Passover was a great time of celebration because it was the memory in the time in which God would deliver his children out of bondage in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. It was a time of celebration as they fought back about the day in which they could not deliver themselves, but God delivered them. Hallelujah, right? That's exactly why we're here today. As we think back about the times in our life where I was in sin, where I was captive to sin, I was saturated in sin and could not bring myself out of sin. But God in his marvelous way delivered me out of the bondage of sin. And when I come here, the joy and the celebration of what Christ has done in my life should be all over my face. This is the time of Passover. For the Jews, it was a time of celebration. And I arrive here week after week, enjoying the celebration of how my Savior delivered me from bondage. It was a joyous time. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went there to worship. He went there to celebrate all that God his father had done for his people. Verse number 14 tells us that the cheer was ruined and found, this is after Jesus went to Jerusalem to the temple, this is what he found in the temple, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. 
He went to the place where he was expecting to hear people worship God for the deliverance that he given them. But as he walked into this situation, he found himself, instead of a place of worship, he found himself in a modern-day flea market. Uh, the people in this day, the, the leaders of the temple in this time, had made the temple an uh, area of profit, an uh, area of gain. And by the way, that ain't much different with what much, with with what many leaders have done today. Just watch the TV. It doesn't matter whether the health and wealth and prosperity gospel, that's what they've made Jesus all about. They've made it a market for their game. It doesn't matter whether it's Smiling Joe or Kenneth Copeland or Creflo Dollar. They have made a market of the gospel. And by the way, when they take, when you take the gospel, we'll see this here in verse number 16 and 17, in 15, 16, 17, the mockery of making the gospel that angers the Lord. This propaganda that they had done had angered the Lord. When the verse tells us that when the Lord arrives here, he sees the sale of oxen. He, he sees the sale of sheep. And he sees these money changers sitting in the door. Now, Understand the, the Lord had become angry because they have made this place where we're supposed to be worshiping and now become this den of thieves. Now, understand this scene fully. As I said, that many of the Jews would travel back to Jerusalem during the time of Passover, it was a twofold reason. They would travel back in the time of Passover. Because customarily, this is the time of the year that they would offer up sacrifices to the Lord in thanksgiving. Secondarily, this time of Passover was also the same time of year that any male over the age of 20 would pay his tax to the temple. So there was a twofold reason in which they was coming here. But also understand that some would travel 200 miles to arrive here in Jerusalem. Why is this important? It's important because it brings understanding that it was not practical in this time to take a sheep and travel some 200 miles with it and expect it to be okay. So this sets forth the understanding that it wasn't wrong for them to be in the temple selling oxen. Was it wrong for them to be in the temple selling sheep or selling doves? No, customarily, that was acceptable. But what was wrong with this time that was experienced here is that as they entered into this, as Jesus entered into this place of worship, these priests were focused on filling their coffers. Now, understand that in order to pay your tax to the temple or even in order to buy the sacrifice in which you would offer up, you couldn't purchase your sacrifice in Roman currency. You had to first exchange your money into the Jewish currency, and then you could buy your, your sacrifice, and then you could pay your tax. What angered the Lord is when he entered into the temple, the money exchangers were charging 12 and what 
what many people believe, 12.5% fees just to exchange dollar for dollar from the Roman coin to the Jewish coin. Because why? They had made it all about gains. Many commentators believe that the markup in prices, like for instance in American currency, one used this. That if you was to buy a dove, a dove would cost you in American money a nickel. But here inside of the temple, what the Lord had laid his eyes upon, that these people were charging $4 for the same doves that was worth one nickel. This angered the Lord. This angered the Lord because he set out to deliver his people from the bondage of Egypt so they could freely worship him. And now these people who he loved and these people whom he delivered was now under the bondage of the people who were supposed to lead worship. This time angered the Lord. It angered the Lord to the point we see here in verse number 15. When he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. I mean, pause for a moment and imagine the unfolding of this scene. I mean, imagine yourself today inside of a flea market, inside of a, a market where everything's being sold. And as you're there and the, the ox is being sold over here and the doves are being sold here. And as you're conducting business, in walks a man. And as he looks around, you see him go over and get the material. And as he's in the middle of the crowd, he begins to fasten the scourge together. And in the back of your mind, you're wondering, what is he about to do with this scourge? But here the Lord begins to fasten this scourge together. And when he is done, he begins to drive them out of the temple. Now, this is not animal abuse. If, if you think this is animal abuse, you have not seen how they herd animals today. This is how they would move the animals. The Lord was cleansing the house, clearing out the house. Then it says in verse number 15, if that isn't enough, the Lord didn't kick over the jars. The Bible says that the Lord poured out the money jars and poured out the changers' money. And then after he poured out the changers' money, he then overthrew the tables. This was righteous anger from the Lord. Verse 16, and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hit and make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They had remembered what was written, that text is written in Psalms chapter 69 and verse 17. Now understand two things about this statement of what we see about what the Lord has done. This doesn't mean that you have now been granted the right when you feel like people mishandle worship to come in with the scourge and handle business. That's not what's being offered up here as an answer. This is righteous anger from the Lord. But I also say that this text is one of the most applicable texts in our lives today. Why? Well, it applies in a twofold manner. The leaders who were in charge 
of the temple had lost the reality of who God is. When you lose the reality of who God is, do you know what happens in your life? Irreverence towards God sets in. When irreverence towards God sets in in your life, do you know the first place that it's manifested? In your worship. The people who were in charge were irreverent and it manifested in its worship. What could be said of us today? We understand what the scripture points to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, that our bodies is the temple of God. It's easy for us to look down the nose on the chief priest and the people who were conducting business. But if we was to all be able and somehow in some way gather together and take a tour of each and everyone's heart here, the temple of God, I wonder what we, we would find that's hindering true worship. I wonder what we would find in our lives that would righteously anger the Lord. Things that we have allowed to creep in our lives that have taken over whole commitment serving him. Things that have come into our lives that when we arrive here, they're still turning in our mind about this deal and that deal and what I'm going to do with this bonus this year or that check or this focus or that focus or how we're going to do. I wonder how ashamed we would be if the temple of our hearts were open for all to see. Even more, when we all gather here together for worship, understand this, that all had gathered in Jerusalem to worship God for delivering them out of the bondage that was in Egypt. But understand that the decision of those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves affected the entire worship service. See that? The people who had made a mockery of worship affected those who had genuinely come to worship. And we know genuinely people came to worship because Jesus came to worship. I fear that so many times that we don't recognize. And by the way, the answer is to, the answer is not to don't come to church. That's not the answer. But I wonder how many times we affect the blessing and the experience that is offered to us when we gather here to commune with God because we have other things cluttered in the temple of our hearts. Not only does cluttering in the temple of our hearts affect our worship, it affects others' worship also. True worship only began when the ox, when the sheep, when the doves, when the money changers, when, when, when they was removed from the situation, true worship then set forth. The challenge isn't to leave so everybody could have worship. The challenge is that we ought to search inside of our hearts and remove the things that are hindering us from worshiping 
God. Also understand here what happened here. It was the Lord's righteous anger that drove all of this from the temple. All of this came out of a place of love for God. It all came out of a place of love for his heavenly father. And even more, when they quote this text, um, in, when they quoted that text in verse number 17, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. When it was all gone, there was true worship that take, had took, taken place. But when he says there, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, I don't know if you've had familiar experiences with this just in English terminology. I'll, in my home growing up, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, it's eating me up. I don't know how many times I've referenced a situation in my life where I said, man, it's just eating me up. It's all I think about. Every time I turn around, I'm thinking about it. It means to be fully consumed with something. When you're ate up with it, it means you're consumed. Now, if you was to look at this in the, in the Hebrew or in the Greek, they both have this same imagery painted. It is to mean to be fully consumed, and the imagery they want to give you is that consumed with the fire. We understand that if you earn a piece of wood, it just doesn't burn on this far end and inside of this square inch. When a piece of wood is lit to fire, the fire eventually consumes it all. So when he says there that the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, he was consumed with passion for correct worship in his father's house. You will never be able to experience the beauty of corporate worship when your heart is dirty. You'll never be able to experience the beauty of uh, corporate worship when you have filth in your life. You have ruined corporate worship, the opportunity to experience corporate, not only personal worship, but corporate worship. But to worship God is the grandest opportunity that is offered to us as people who have been delivered from sin. And the greatest smear that we can do is ruin the joy of corporate worship by refusing to address things in our life. Now, verse number 18 says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou do, uh, doest these things? The Jews wanted to know here, verse number 18, all right, so you just cleaned out this temple. I find it interesting in verse 18 that the Jews didn't say he was wrong for cleaning out the temple. They didn't say that they wasn't doing wrong things. They wanted to know who gave you the authority to do this. If you can tell us who gave you the authority to do it, we're going to be quiet. But you need to explain to us who gave you this authority and Jesus answered and said unto them they and by the way it went on to say here and what sign showest thou unto us seeing that thou doest these things like you need to give us a sign right here and show to us that you have the authority to do such a thing 
the Lord's response to them was in verse 19. And Jesus answered and said unto them, to destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, we understand that they're going to go on and kind of poke fun at Jesus, so to say, that 43 years this temple has been in, uh, in construction. And what? You're going to tear it down, and then three days later you're going to raise it up again? But we understand that Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. That, listen, you can, you can judge me. You're going to go on to persecute me. You're going to end up going on to crucify me. You're going to place me in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, I will rise again. This will be the sign unto you to show you that I have the right to cleanse this temple. This will be the sign that I'll show you that I have the right to cleanse my father's house. And that Jesus would even here really to say, offer himself up. I, I believe this is an imagery that's putting forth before us. We understand that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. We understand that sacrifice in the Old Testament is a part of worship. It was a natural part of worship. But in the cleansing of the temple and removing the doves and removing the oxen and removing the sheep and Jesus alone being there is like a crying out and a manifestation. Jesus is saying, I am the last offering. I am the last sacrifice you will ever need to worship. What did you need to worship, right? You don't need it no more. You don't need the ox. You don't need the sheep. You don't need the doves. The Son of Man has come. Even more, he says there in this final verses, um, verses 20. Well, let's just go down to 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem, at the time of, at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name, and when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He understood exactly what was going on in the people's hearts. But there is a joyous moment that is offered up to us here that even in this moment, there were many who believed in Jesus Christ. This is great news compared to what we've seen at the miracle in Cana. And many seen Christ for who he was and placed their faith in him, repented of their sins and were saved. Hallelujah. That's great. But I also say that from this text, it is the most applicable to our lives. And may we be reminded from this portion of Scripture in John chapter 2, verse 12 to the end of the chapter, that empty and vain worship angers the Lord. May we be reminded, and I, may, I pray that all people will see that uh, us right here in this room right now, that we're the kind of people that have a hatred for sin. I didn't say we hate the sinner. I said we hate the act of the sin because it offends God. Yet we also recognize that we're in sinners in desperate need of God. But all the more, may it also be said of us that we have a burning desire in our hearts. Can, may it be said of us 
that the zeal for our father's house has eaten us up, eaten us up to the point that we want to come here with a cleansed temple, a clean heart prepared to worship. And if we do not, and if we will not, and if we refuse to get our hearts right, even though that we are hindering our worship, and if we will not get our hearts right and we will cling to our sins, yet knowing that what God has done, we profess to be saved and we say we're not going to get it right. We may not say it verbally, but we say it when we don't do it. And it's not me that matters. It's not the church members that matters. It's the Lord that matters. Then I remind you also that the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was zealous to purge the temple so that his people would start worshiping God correctly is the same Lord that's taken up residence inside of us. He has been faithful to purge the temple then, but our Lord even understands how to be both the lion and the lamb. And I pray that whatever it takes to bring us to a place where our hearts are purified and cleansed so that we can truly experience worship. I say, Lord, so do it. Do whatever it takes to restore the joy of our salvation. Do whatever it takes to make us desire you again. Do whatever it takes to, to cause us to burn in our hearts to want to worship you again. Make it, the, make it the thing that when we leave here that we're excited thinking about the next opportunity. We, we get to come back here and worship him. Who? The one who has delivered us out of the bondage and captivity of sin. That's the only place you can find peace in this world is in Jesus. It's the only way you can find deliverance from sin is in Jesus. You ain't going to be made perfect. You ain't going to all of a sudden not struggle with the struggles of this life. But what you've been offered in Jesus is the promise that when you leave this world, you're going to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. Walk in the streets of gold, reunited with those who went on before us. What a glorious day. As opposed to the most dreadful of thoughts. To leave this world, to never place our faith in him to never trust him, and to end up in a place called hell for all eternity. Oh, Lord, help us, whether we're here this morning and lost or whether we're here and we're saved, whatever it takes to get the clutter out of our lives, please do it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. We thank you for your love that you've bestowed upon us, your grace you've put upon us, and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your loving kindness upon us, Lord, the strength that you give us to move on, Lord, but may we ever be cautious about how we come into this house. Lord, I pray that you'll convict me and have the Spirit convict me that I may never be a hindrance of your moving here in this building. Lord, I pray that you'll show me in my own personal life, my failures, my shortcomings. Lord, that I may aspire to do better, Lord, but also that I may not hinder my own personal worship. Lord, this isn't a time we know just to come here and 
listen to somebody speak and sing some songs and eat some food and all of those things are exciting. But they're exciting because we're singing praises unto you. They're exciting because we're reading your word that you've preserved for us throughout all history. And the food is exciting because it is a time to worship with people and fellowship with people who know you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.